Hey all, it's Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you about our good friends over at Burgermaster. If you know anything about me, I crave burgers in my sleep. I do not mess around. Started in 1952, Burgermaster is the best burger chain in Washington State. They have locations all over the Puget Sound in Aurora, Bellevue, Everett, Mill Creek University, and Mount Vernon. Their fresh ingredients and classic driving experience make them the greatest burger chain in the state of Washington. Stop by Burgermaster on your way home from a Seahawks game. You won't regret it. Hey everybody, it's Brian. If you haven't noticed, it is absolutely nuts out there in the housing market. If you don't know exactly what you're doing and you don't have someone that you trust by your side to guide you through the process, good luck getting the home you want or getting the best price for the home you're selling. John Hurlbut at Altitude Homes is a guy I've known for years, over a decade, a friend and someone I trust implicitly. If you are in Pierce, South King, or Thurston counties, there is nobody better to help guide you through the real estate process right now. Go on over to altitudehomesteam.com slash hawkablogger. Now, again, that's altitudehomesteam.com slash hawkblogger. Sign up to contact John. He will help you with the process, and all referrals will result in a $1,000 donation from John and the Altitude Homes team to Ben's Fund. Everybody wins. Go in there, get your help, get your dream home, get the most money for your home. AltitudeHomesTeam.com slash HawkBlogger. Hey all, Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you guys about our good friend Blake Johnson of ManifestFit.com. Football season is quickly approaching, and it is a struggle to stay in shape while eating burgers and nachos. ManifestFit.com is your one only true online personal training service with workout and nutrition programs specifically based on your needs. They work with clients all over the U.S., and what makes Blake and ManifestFit.com so unique is that they don't believe training should be a luxury item. Now's the time to start. Head over to ManifestFit.com. Click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks fans. The skyline is etched in my veins. You can never put that out no matter how hard it rains in my city. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 236th episode of Real Hawk Talk. I am... Brian Nemhauser, and you can find me on Twitter at HawkBlogger. We have some fun stuff to talk about tonight. Uh, you may even see movement from every member of our panel, not just myself and Dana and Jeff. Currently, Nathan is has a member of the Guinness Book of World Records in his house, and he is going for the longest time that anyone has held one facial expression in the history of the world. So buckle up. Like this is, you could be in for history tonight. We don't know if he's going to be able to pull it off. We are excited to see if he can do it, but we're all about competing on the real Hawk talk pod. And, uh, you know, Nathan's right there with us. So, uh, going to open the show today by just saying, folks, if you haven't already given the show a like, subscribe to the channel, go to patreon.com slash hawkblogger and join. Now is absolutely the time to do it. We are in the playoff push. You are going to get some of the most fun conversation. Whatever happens with the Seahawks the rest of the way, we've got the Seahawks to talk about. We've got the draft picks to talk about. We've got 
just all sorts of silly weirdness to talk about. And and uh, now's the time to join patreon.com slash hawkblogger. And as a matter of fact, today's a special day. Tonight's a special night. Uh, after much ado and, and uh, trying to figure out where we were going to do it and who we we're going to do it for, um, normally we give our annual donation to Ben's Fund. Um, done it for years. And John and Tracy Snyder are super big supporters of the show and have been great to us and to our supporters. A couple things happened this year. One was that like they didn't actually get organized to do a, a fundraiser. And secondly, not to be a total downer, but the reality is I had a pretty big tragedy in my life. Really, really close friends of ours lost their daughter to a drug overdose. And she was just 21 years old, same age as my oldest kid. And uh, she had struggled with, you know, all sorts of, of demons along the way. And so I'm actually really, really happy to be able to say that we made a donation on, in her memory to NAMI, which is the National Association of Mental. Uh, oh, I'm forgetting the last one. Not, it's not institution. National Association. Mental illness. Thank you. <laughs> like, thank you. Uh, mental illness. And they're a great organization. They help people before they get to some of these challenges. And we were able to donate $40,000 um, to NAMI um, on behalf of, of her and um, could only do that with all of your support. So uh, all proceeds from the blog plus additional, um, you know, donations from Rachel and I go to our charity of the year. And so really, really, really happy to make that donation. Thanks to all of you for supporting the blog. Thank you for um, being a patron, all of that stuff helps contribute to doing really good um, for the world and double bonus. You get to have fun talking Seahawks with a lot of cool people. So patreon.com slash Hawk blogger. Great time to join. Great gift to give. You can also go to hawkblogger.com, Click the store, buy some merch. There's actually some awesome, awesome merch. Great sweatshirt. Light hoodie is my favorite. Head over there. All sorts of ways you can support the show. All right. Let me bring in the crew. I'm going to start with unfrozen. The warmth. Can we pause for a minute, though? Sorry, I hate to interrupt. Yes. Uh, But I think we just had a hundred dollar donation in the the chat. Oh my gosh, I missed that. Thank you. Reflect the sun. Um, Amazing to see that. (laughs) Really, really appreciate uh, additional support for the show. That's that's amazing. Um, Thank you and. Excited to figure out what our cause will be next year. Um, so, so really, really, really appreciate that. That's amazing. Thank you for your generosity. Uh, I will. Uh, I will go ahead and just match that to uh, Nami real quick. Uh, I love it. I love it. This is fantastic. You guys are the best. Nathan actually, you know, not to diminish what he's doing, but like he had to find some way to donate after last year. Like, I think he was like, <laughs> I don't want to say how much, but he put a lot of money towards charity because of a bad bet on Jason Myers, I think. Uh, so this is great. Great. Yeah, it was it. great watching Seahawks games with uh, my wife and uh, <laughs> the Jason Myers field goals all got a little tense there towards the end of the year. <laughs> Absolutely. Awesome, Nathan. Thank you. <clears throat> I'm all choked up um, on the macadamia nuts I just ate. Um, 
but uh, that was Nathan Ernst at Nathan E11. Uh, again, he is frozen in time forever. This is this is going to be a, an interesting thing to watch. Um, see how long he can he can pull this off. Uh, opposite of frozen is warm, and that is Dana O'Gorman at Dana OG on Twitter. Dana, good to have you back. Thank you. I I just want to. Um... Uh, pulled my inner Evan and say, clip it. Somebody has to get that picture. Because <laughs> it just makes me laugh really hard. Um, yeah, I'm good. I'm glad to be back. Thank you so much. Um, I'm glad to be back after a win, a squeaky win. But there'll be a lot to talk <laughs> it, about. It, that was the perfect way to describe yeah. it. Like a win? Yeah, it, like it we was. did technically win. Yeah. Didn't feel all the way there. I love no. that, Dana. Yeah. Um, squeaky. Expert expert delivery <laughs> um i do have to say i wish it was a feature of the streaming software that i could pause each of you whenever i wanted and certain really awkward facial expressions <laughs> i would have a lot of fun with that <laughs> definitely it's too much power it, it is it is uh, and so uh last but not least going from frozen to warm to probably frozen again in the great north of canada uh jeff simmons at real jeff simmons the 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 newly engaged Jeff Simmons. If you haven't already congratulated Yay, him, make sure you do. How's it going, Jeff? Have, have like you given up control of your life yet? Has that happened? Yeah, frozen's a pretty good word to describe what's going on with me. So <laughs> Dana's so offended. <laughs> <laughs> you know it's true. Kinda. It's, it's, yeah. It's good to be back. I, I might this might be a first for the our podcast. I think I might have the best internet tonight. Oh my gosh. What am I frozen to? <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> well, we'll find out about all that. Um, you know, there's a lot of places to go. I, I, you know, like we have a little bit of a formula, how we talk about the past game. And like, I, I'm going to go off the rails here. So like, there's a couple like stories that came out that caught my attention. I'm curious, curious about you guys. The first is a little salacious and probably like silly to talk about. So that's exactly why I'm going to start with it. Um, did you guys see this article that came out from some, I think, like SB Nation writer? I mean, some like nothing, but whatever. But basically, the story was the reason that Russ is struggling is partially because he pays for his own quarterback coach, who is Jake Heaps. And, you know, what does he think he's doing bringing his own coach into there? Did you guys see this story? Yeah. I've seen Dana nod. Yeah, and then the Twitter fight that ensued afterwards. Was what was the Twitter fight? I did not see the Twitter fight. Well, Ben Albright, you know, out of Denver, for those of you guys who don't follow him, he's a, a radio guy in Denver. And he's um, not unbiased to the Broncos. We'll just say that, okay? You know, that's just, that's just yeah. he's not. But I mean, I've followed him. We followed each other for years. But he got into it with a couple people who were like, that's absurd. That's the crazy thing professional quarterbacks do not have quarterback coaches. And he's like, um, actually they do. And so there was a whole argument back and forth about whether that was a logical thing. Don't you have coaches on your team? It, it was really bizarre. But um, for those of you who don't know, lot, lots of quarterbacks have quarterback coaches. Yeah, Jeff, I don't know about you, but like, well, okay. I've got to admit something. This is, this is, this is embarrassing. I used I loved Jake and Stacy's show. Like Jake Heaps, uh, Stacy Rost. Uh, like it was probably my favorite sports Seattle sports radio show last year. I basically just not listened to any sports radio for a while. 
Um, I just, for whatever reason, I didn't, I was like, where's Jake? Like sometimes I'm in my car and I'll turn it on and it's just Stacy with like Michael Bumpus or something. I'm like, what happened to Jake? And I never put any time into figuring it out. I had no idea that he had left 710. And I definitely had no idea that he left to be Russell Wilson's personal quarterback coach and moved to Denver with him. Uh, so like I missed it on Twitter too, I guess. Like I would assume that would have been a big deal, but maybe it just all happened around the time he got traded and it got lost in the shuffle for me. I don't know, Jeff, do you know much about that? Or did you follow that story at all? Like, I remember it happened, and then he kind of has gone into the shadows. He hasn't been very active, and I wonder, like, if he thought the Seahawks were going to become a sinking ship, and that was probably a better career move to get out of while the team was about to fade into irrelevance. And I do wonder that, but no, until the story, he's been, like, almost like a super quiet figure. Like, no one's really talked about him. <laughs> Today, they come out of the blue with this, and they're so down in Denver. They're, they're reaching for all elements to find who to blame, and to come out and blame Jake. And like, we know if you followed Russell at all in his career, you know what he's like with his own personal people. And he had the masseuse live in his house and all this kind of things. Like to come out and blame Jake heaps for everything that's gone on there. When there's so many other issues there, it just felt kind of dirty. And like, I saw Stacy going a rant about it. It just, it felt like crossing a line of some sorts. And sure. You can blame all the stuff around Russell, but to like single out Jake heaps is the issue with what's going on there. It felt, it just felt gross. Yeah, I, I we're not going to spend a ton of time on this, but like part of the reason it jumped out to me is like, first of all, I like Jake Heaps. He's been on the show. He is a good guy. He is like a local guy. He's been good to Seattle. I don't have any issue with Jake Heaps. Like he's a good family guy as far as I know. Like, so he's a good dude and I just don't like it when good dudes get their names dragged through the mud. And then the other is like, it's very odd to me that people are like, I've been as having as much fun with the Russell situation as anybody, but like, am I really going to criticize the guy for paying his own money to bring on additional coaching? If he thinks that will help, like, do you criticize guys for investing in, um, trainers and additional like hyperbaric chambers and all this stuff that they do to take care of their bodies. People talk about they spend a million dollars a year. Sometimes some of these pro athletes investing in themselves to keep themselves healthy and better. I don't know. Like the whole story to me was like, geez, man, like it has reached the point where they're just, they're ter they're so upset they're gonna tear apart anybody and anything and rust he's if they're at this point uh man it, it, it's gonna be it's gonna be tough I, I didn't i also didn't know going back to the other side i didn't know rust had his own office that, that does that surprise you though it did honestly like that's pretty shitty like to have your own that, that could have been the whole story to me like that that i was like <laughs> you're like separating yourself from the team like that Whoa. you would never do that so anyway I, that story jumped out at me as like wow like i just had to talk about it for a second the other one dana i know you you read it because mm -hmm. i i read it too and i shared it on twitter um not a current Seahawk, but one of the best past Seahawks was on the front page of the Seattle Times today, uh, Doug Baldwin. And I'm always happy when I open the paper in this morning. Uh, of course, it's digital now. I don't really open it, but when I launch it and uh, 
And if I see Doug, that's just a, mm -hmm. a great moment. So tell folks what, what he's doing. Like, how did he make the front page? So, I mean, we all know that Doug Baldwin has kind of always, you know, gone to the beat of his own drum. Like th this is just who he is. He wasn't a prototypical NFL guy. Um, he was quiet. He was always really introspective and, and, you know, we called him angry Doug Baldwin for a reason because he looked pissed off all the time, but he really is such a good dude. So they did a story today on him about this committee that he's in. Um, and the headline freaked me out. I'm not going to lie because the headline is ex Seahawk Doug Baldwin will help decide on six lives that hang in the balance. I thought, what the hell is that? Like it had no explanation. And so it was very fascinating to me. Apparently Doug Baldwin is now part of a obscure state board that actually goes and for the prison system and they consider whether people convicted of murder or other years drive-by shootings things armed robbery should be freed from prison and it's it's this separate board i guess it's been around for a while and he was just appointed to it. I don't know if it was just this year, but it's been pretty recently. Um, and they look over the cases and then they give their recommendation. What's interesting about this is he's on there with lawyers, uh, civil rights attorneys, um, you know, a court reporter, a bailiff, um, a dean of a college. So, I mean, it's, it's a very wide mix of people. And um, oh, I'm seeing now it says he was appointed by Inslee in October and he's only 34. So he's the youngest member and in the article, it said by two decades. So he's very young. Now, this is not, you know, really surprising if you realize that Doug Baldwin has always been very in the middle of, you know, prison reform, police reform. He was right there with Kaepernick when all of that went down. So this is this is not really surprising, but it was it was a very it seemed very Doug Baldwin, didn't it? Like this yeah. seems like something he would do offshoot of that great work that he is doing. And, and I love that he is getting so involved. The, the other part of this article though, that was fascinating to me was he was just talking to the reporter and he says that he has, since the day he retired, he has not watched a full game of football that um, it brings up anger and fight and completely changes his mental status when he watches it, this mental status that he would have had to be in the game. So he just has removed it from his life, which I thought was so fascinating. So it's like, oh, he really was angry, Doug Baldwin, because he really said that uh, that's uh. what he brought up. But I think it's great. And it's great work in that he stayed here in Seattle and or in Washington, and he's trying to make a difference. And, and he's, I, I know that everyone knows this, or at least they should know this. He's insanely intelligent. He's insanely logical. And I think that's just such a great thing for him to be doing. Yeah. I don't know. Did you get a chance to read this at all, uh, Jeff? No, I actually didn't. I saw the headline and I had the same reaction as Dana. Like, it was weird. It was weird. I'm like, something doesn't add up here because everyone's talking about cool is. And then I got caught up in a bunch of other things today. And I ended up listening to like the full KJ right hour. Oh, yeah. I, I want to come to that next, actually. Man, so that's no? a, an interesting thing that, as that well. That show is great. Like, I, I'm like you. I'm not listening to a lot of sports radio this year, but I listen to that show when I'm driving every week. It's really good. Yeah, I, I, I want to ask you about that in just a second. Just to wrap up quick on Doug, like, uh, this is just the guy that, that, you know, folks that have followed this show and followed the blog for a while know that I know Doug, and, and so you know, I'm certainly biased in his direction, although he and I have had a lot of pretty, you know, 
confrontational conversations over the years about decisions he's made and things I've said and whatever. So like, we're, we're pretty close on that regard, but he, um, you know, his dad was a cop. He is a brilliant black man, you know, growing up, uh, experiencing all the things that other black men in this country experience, uh, going to Stanford. Um, you know, most people assuming he's an athlete and not a scholar, this is a guy that was going to work at tech coming out of Stanford um, ended up being as an undrafted free agent, making it in the NFL, but he had a job, he had a job, I believe is like Dropbox, like coming out of school. Um, so like this, this is guys just, um, he's a special person. He could, he could run for office and, and be uh, effective there when he got involved with the, um, you know, all the stuff that's going on in terms of race relations and, and uh, the police force and things like that, while everyone else was yelling at each other, he was going around interviewing um, judges, uh, you know, prisoners, um, you know, families, every policeman, like everybody he could to learn. He just listened and learned for a while and then came out with some just really wise perspectives on what is a super complicated topic. And I just, uh, I get a lot of pleasure out of, of watching Doug's evolution. He's now the CEO of a company. Uh, he and I talked a bunch about like he was at an incubator or like basically a, a, a venture fund for a while and then has decided to take over one of the companies. So, you know, just a really, really cool person and uh, so proud that he was a Seahawk and, you know, really curious to see what he does next. So um, enough on Doug. Jeff, you mentioned another former Seahawk, KJ Wright, who's got a show on with Mike Salk and Brock Heward on 710. When when does that show happen every week? Is it is it Tuesdays, Wednesdays? It's Wednesday. I don't know the hour, but I always listen to their show on like the podcast version. So Okay. So, so Wednesday show. And and what what was the topic this week? They covered all sorts of things. It was they started talking about the Rams game and the defensive adjustment that Pete claimed that they made, what he saw defensively, and then they talked a lot about Geno. And then they got into some like old stories because Pete had mentioned like how the game with Bobby had brought up how like practices used to be because how fired up everyone was. And then they started just going in and like reminiscing about old Seahawks teams. And he told some stories about like Jimmy Graham and Percy. And it's funny hearing like Brian's perspective of that trade and then hearing KJ and it, it was almost identical. And I don't know if that's a coincidence or not, but it was very like KJ just doesn't hold back. And like he was talking about how he doesn't like Jalen Ramsey and all kinds of stories. So I, I found it really interesting. It like flies by because KJ is just very honest. Yeah, he had his, his, some. uh some near misses on social this this year so <laughs> you are uh, he he narrowly survived that but um i mean one of the topics there that i think you and i went back and forth on is uh i mean the run defense for the seahawks has been just i, I get like I, even just saying the seahawks run defense my blood pressure picks up i'm so pissed about it i just it drives me freaking nuts to watch bad run defense. It drives me bad, crazy to watch bad defense in general, but run defense is maybe the worst. And 
there was a he talked about like how they were struggling in the three four um to defend it early on with the rams and they made an adjustment um do you want to talk a little bit about that yeah sure um like one of the things that kj has been saying all year because it's been a a constant topic has been the run defense and so kj has been kind of explaining why they've been struggling a lot of it has to do with like the bare front and nathan would be good to talk about this too um, the, the bare front they're running in the three, four scheme and how it just leaves some holes. And some of the guys they have playing in the front right now, Puna Ford and Shelby Harris, they're really good at penetrating, but he was explaining today how when they're set up in bare, they're, they're good at penetrating, but they're not good at holding blocks. The two of them, they said only Al is doing well at it. So it's, it left a massive hole in their scheme. He called it the C gap. And Nathan was explaining that in further detail in our chat. And he said, the scheme that they're running in the three, four is leaving a giant hole in their C gap. And that's why McVeigh kept attacking that early in the game. That's why they were just moving the ball at will. And all year KJ has been wondering, like when's Pete going to go back to what he knows, which are the over fronts and what they've been doing. And like Brian mentioned the other day, like they were top five in the league in run defense. And I know they did some bare front last year, but so KJ said after the second drive, they went to those over fronts, which guys like Puna, and Shelby, and they were able to move Bruce Irvin into the C gap. So they're playing more of the traditional Pete Carroll defense that kind of fit their personnel. And Bruce Irvin went to that gap. And after that, until that last drive, it looked like a normal defense. But all year, he's been saying this 3 4 doesn't work with the players they have. And like you have the three linemen and the two edge guys, and that's supposed to be five on five against the O line. But the players they have don't really suit two of the three linemen aren't great at eating up those blocks and some of their edge rushers are probably new to this. So they're really limited in run defense. And it's not surprising why they broke so often because a, they might not have the personnel to run it and B, they just might not be good at it. Yeah. I mean, Dana, you and I are defensive Mm -hmm. uh, obsessed and without getting too technical, because it's probably, it's probably beyond me anyway. Um, what I can say is like Pete Carroll's defense that he came in with back to the NFL, at least was a four, three over defense mm-hmm. where four down linemen, three linebackers, and you had a, a strong side linebacker that basically was right over the tight end. So you had this, you had this like really strong front, no pun intended for run defense. And it was very clear. The guys on the edges, your defensive linemen were like, 250 to 275 pound guys that were able to set the edge and that all made sense now they've got a situation where they've gone to three four they've gone to this bare front so they have three down linemen that are big burly dudes al woods shelby harris those guys but they're really close together and you've got four linebackers two inside two outside flanking that line and Uchenna Nuosu is like one of those guys. These are smaller dudes. Mm-hmm. They're yeah. fat, but they're smaller. And we saw in the very first game of the season, the Broncos ran to the outside and there was miles on the outside. They couldn't control the outside. And then now we're seeing people run right up the middle as well on them. So the fact that KJ Wright says, hey, they were playing this bare front and they switched to a 4-3 over, to me, is like, 
I am starting to lose confidence in this scheme change. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm starting to wonder if it's time to go back to what Pete knows. Well, I think he was giving, and I don't know. I mean, none of us know, right? But I, I think he was trying to give Clint her, his, some leeway. Okay, see what you can do with this. You know, give him give him a little room, see if they can change this out. Now, that's not to say Pete doesn't have a part in it because we know he's a defensive coach, right? We get it. But what I did see in this game, and the, and the credit that I will give to um, our defensive coordinator is they were quicker to make the change. Like there were some games where they stuck with that. I mean, the Raiders game, I mean, Jesus, their number one player is a running back. Do something about it, right? But they they were quicker to make that change. He hopped on it quicker. And so I don't know if they think they're going to scheme each individual team. Oh, we'll try this. We'll try this. But teams know now. There's no question they can run on Seattle. The other problem with having the four linebackers is these are linebackers outside of Nuosu who have a really hard time tackling most of the time. Now, yes, I know, you know. Jordan Brooks has the most tackles in football right now or something like that. I think he's like number one or cl close up there at tall at the top. But from what I'm saying is if then you have these guys, there's holes and then you have linebackers who aren't tackling, it's not going to make sense. They're going to run on you every single time. And so I'm hoping that what they're seeing is their number one problem. He fixed it after the first quarter. I, in his, in Hertz press, press conversation, he was very proud of that, you know, that they had switched it up so quickly. Um, and I'm wondering if then the change will be, especially with McCaffrey coming up and some of these other good runners, that they'll switch up and just go back to what they know and what works. Yeah, I uh, I mean, some of the things that, that jumped out for me there, Jeff, was they were doing eight-man fronts. So everyone's like, hey, let's dedicate extra men to the box. They were. And they weren't just getting like still run on. They were getting yeah. gashed. And so like. Some of that's some of that's talent. We've talked about it. But when it's this bad and when the, we've seen this wild swing with the same personnel where they're good and then they're awful it starts to me to feel like this is a lot about scheme. And so if it's scheme and people are talking about Sean Desai, I see that in the chat. This Sean Desai was brought up for secondary. That's his focus point, Carl Scott or secondary. And frankly, the secondary can be one coverage and you can play different fronts under different coverages. So they can continue to play a two deep safety look if they want limit big plays and have a different front seven. But in any event, like, uh, do you want, Jeff, at this point with what you know, do you want to see, like, hey, give them the rest of this year, give them the offseason to bring in more guys to fit this and then make the call? And that's assuming that everyone struggles to adjust to a new scheme. It, it's the, it's real. Or are you like, geez, Louise, like, we've got to cut bait on this scheme. We've got to go back to what we know. And we should get people in the offseason that fit that scheme. Because we could be caught in between. And if, if they go halfway on this, we are screwed. We cannot spend these draft picks on the wrong types of players. And, yeah, I've been thinking about that a bit. And if you think about it, there's a lot of teams in the league in the last couple of years that have gone to this Fangio scheme. And a great example of what you're talking about is the Chargers. And the Chargers brought in Brandon Staley, who was Vic's right-hand man 
in Chicago and he ran the scheme in the Rams that worked great against us. But since he's gone to the Chargers, they've been a disaster on defense around the same scheme. And especially they've been especially bad on run defense. Like they've been one of the worst run defenses in the league the last two years. I know they've had a lot of injuries, but it makes me wonder, like there must be real emphasis on finding like very good personnel, finding the right personnel. And the gap between being good and bad seems huge, which makes me very uncomfortable because the Chargers who have one of the guys who ran the scheme and they ran well with the Rams two years now where they had a lot of free agent money and a lot of draft picks, they have not been able to get it right. So it makes me a little nervous that, because again, Seattle has one guy in their front three who was really suited for that scheme. It's Al Woods. He's 35 years old. Monet is a good backup for him, but Puna and Shelby, like you have a decision on Puna to make number one. Like he's a free agent after the season. If you're going to run the scheme, there's no way you can re-sign him in my opinion. But if you're in a different scheme, he's a very valuable player to you like he was in the past. So to me, I'm sort of like with you, Brian, if, if the margin for error is this huge, I mean, is this small, if you don't have the right personnel and you see it with the Rams and the Vikings went to this scheme this year. And unless you have Aaron Donald and guys like that, and you can't run it to me, that's the wrong scheme because it's so difficult to master and so difficult to get those players. And you have all these picks coming up to me. I, I would go with the scheme with a lower margin of error. <laughs> I don't know if this is realistic because of the dynamics of how it would have to play out. But my decision is, significantly influenced by where this top pick is. And if I'm going to get my choice of defensive lineman, I am saying if I get, if it's Will Anderson, if it's Jalen Carter, if it's uh, Brise, you know, Miles Murphy, there's a bunch of guys at the top there. If I get one of those guys and Jalen Carter, let's say, and he is best suited for a four, three, I mean, most players that are very good can play in any scheme. Yeah. Realistically, you can't tell me Warren Sapp wouldn't have been good in either. You can't tell me that Cortez Kennedy wouldn't have been good in either. But in any event, there are players that were more suited to one than the other. I would go to whatever best accentuates their talents, and I would then draft accordingly. Um, I you see that happen with offensive players like you you got people with certain talents that emerge and you build a scheme around it. Um, I think that's the type of draft you have coming up. And uh, I don't think it's been talked about enough. People don't understand that scheme and player personnel are like two sides of a coin and make drastically different decisions based on what scheme you're running. So it would surprise me if they ran away from it at this point. I think they're going to go all in and that's probably the right decision. Like I don't like halfway and whiplashing, but I'm concerned uh, for sure um, about what I'm seeing there. Um, Dana, um, do you have the patron questions? By any chance you could I can pull them up. Yeah. Hold on. Awesome. So while Dana's doing that, if you have not already clicked, like on the show we would really appreciate it um click subscribe to get added to the channel by the way we've made chat so it's subscriber only we do this so that we do not get dive bombed during like the 49ers shows that are going to come up where 49ers fans like to come in here and say whatever they want um well they can't unless they subscribe to the channel and then even then we'll block them because it'll be fun but uh click subscribe make sure you can always enter the chat 
And then uh, go to patreon.com slash hawkblogger, get immediate access to the Slack channel, and be able to ask questions that we try to answer each and every week. Dana, what do we have this week? All right. So um, the first question is from Silk. What about and or who on this Panthers team concerns you the most heading into this matchup this weekend? Brian, I have you since you wrote the tale of the tape today. Why don't we have you do that one? Uh, sorry, I was just uh, proving a comment. Can you repeat the yeah. question? What about and or who on this Panthers team concerns you the most heading into the matchup this weekend? Yeah, I um, I wrote the tale of the tape this morning and I already got some questions on it because my headline was that the Panthers actually have a lot of components to make the Seahawks miserable. And you look at them and you're like, well, that doesn't seem right, but it's true. So the Panthers, is, uh, as one case in point, um, are a pretty good run team. And when they have eclipsed 100 yards rushing in a game, they are four and two. And in the two losses, they lost both of those games by like two or three points. They're both very close. So when they go over 100 yards, they do well. They have a very good runner. He's not as well known. His name's, uh, is it Deonta Foreman? Or um, mm -hmm. I know it's Foreman, but. Um, okay. And um, he's, a, he's a physical runner. He's not Josh Jacobs. Not many guys are, but he does run through tackles. He's a physical guy. And then there's other pieces where the Panthers have a pretty nice defensive line. And everybody, most people know Brian Burns, but they might not know Matt Ioannidis. And I think it's Derek Brown, um, interior defensive lineman. Both of those guys have 27 and 28 pressures, respectively. And that's like the Seahawks, to give you an idea, the Seahawks – Leading interior rusher is Shelby Harris with 23 pressures. So they have those two guys. They have Brian Burns on the outside. They actually are the 10th ranked team in the NFL in opponent passer ratings. So they're a better pass defense than they are run defense. We can't run the ball to save our lives. We can't stop the run to save our lives. We are highly dependent on the passing game, which happens to be the Panthers' strength. I think this game is like – not as easy as people want to believe it to be. Well, to be honest with you, we haven't beat a team in that division yet. So, <laughs> we'll see right, good point. Good lord. All right. So the next one is Jay Brandt, DC. Have you, um, Jeff? This will be for you. Have you been more surprised by Waldron, Gino, and the offense, or more disappointed in Clint, Desai, Scott, and the defense? I'm more surprised with the offense. A defense has been discouraging and demoralizing. And what Brian said before, I was like, there's nothing more demoralizing than bad, bad run defense. But there's just no scenario in my mind that would have ever envisioned Geno Smith being a top five, six quarterback. And I was texting with people around the league on Monday because I couldn't even appreciate what Geno did. I talked about in our postgame show. I was like so beaten down by the defense. And everyone I talked to was like, I can't believe how good Geno is. Like, an NFC scout I know said Gino was their number one rate quarterback last week. And like just hearing Dan Orlovsky talk about it, and Lewis Riddick had a really good interview yesterday where he was just talking about all the things that are working right now in the Seahawks offense and how it all projects for the future. Like DK had the best game probably he's had since that, maybe the best game he's had in two years, and how good mm -hmm. Tyler's been this year, and how the tight ends work at some of the offensive line, some of the offensive line. I'm going to sit on that. But 
how everything's just come together. And Gino, the throws he's made, and he's getting better at like using his eyes. And there was just no scenario where I envisioned this. The defense, there was definitely scenarios where I could have envisioned things falling out because I just didn't see great personnel there. The front seven is pretty bad, but Gino is playing at a level like Dan Orlovsky was showing clips of some of the throws he was making last game. And Nate Tice, who's Mike Tice's son, had a really cool clips. If you haven't seen his Twitter on just some of the stuff he's doing. And for me, like I, I wasn't even able to appreciate it at the time because I was so mad at the defense. And like finally on Monday, it sort of clicked. Like this guy played an unbelievable game and Waldron's doing a great job. Like he ran some really cool Shanahan concepts last game. And Nate Tice kind of showed a couple of those. Like one was to get Noah Fan open. So to me, like how the offense has just fully come together. Oh, here we go. <laughs> to me, that's by far the biggest surprise. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm Nathan Ernst is back and uh, tried to hold the, the same expression, but couldn't quite do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious, Nathan. Nice job. All right. Hey, Nathan, you're going to get a Patreon question. Oh, boy. And hi. Welcome back, sir. This is from Imani. It says, what, what's more impactful to Seattle's success in 2023? A top-end defensive piece in the draft or trading down for a boatload of draft picks at positions of need? And then they said, again, we have 35 players signed once free agency starts, but we also lack a front seven game marker. You know, I mean – the obvious answer is it just comes down to how you use the picks, right? Mm -hmm. Like trading down. If you grab picks that get you Tariq Woolen is always the right answer. Uh, And, you know, staying where you are and drafting, I don't know. I'm struggling to think of a recent bust, but you know, Danny Shelton, where did Danny Shelton go? He went in top half of the, first round right or somewhat high whatever anyways you do that it's bad right so yeah i mean if you can trade down and you can use the picks well that's going to serve this team the best right like but they are going to be in a position where you know if they trade down it's very possible that they're passing on a will anderson or a jalen carter and you know jalen carter is not aaron donald Will Anderson is not Khalil Mack. Um, But I think both of those players are going to be very good, and you have a chance to get a blue chipper out of both of those. And that's that's hard. I mean, yeah, you Mm -hmm. can find Richard Sherman, or potentially, you know, we could be talking about Tariq Wool in the same way in in a few years. But um, when you're that high in the draft, it's hard for me to say that you should trade down if one of those really elite best in the class type guys are still there i want to ask that if i can dan a little bit differently because i i I was this really interesting question i'm I'm curious so so another way nathan like if you could have one all pro all pro meaning like top two or three at that position in the nfl or you could have let's say one or two pro bowlers um, and a starter, an average starter. Which would you prefer? I don't know. It's hard. I mean, like not right? all pro bowlers. I, I all right. I mean, not all pro bowlers are created the same. But I think. I mean, I get the intent of your question. Um, 
I don't know. That's that's a really hard question, I think. And I, I don't know what the right answer is. But, you know, I mean, the, the I guess the thing that I would fall back on is when you trade down, I mean, you just give yourself more chances. And there are Rich Germans and Cam Chancellors and uh, Michael Bennett's. And I mean, those guys are out there later in the draft. And so, like, my preference is almost always to trade back and get more picks and give yourself more chances. Um, but, you know, you don't have a lot of times where you're sitting there talking about, you know, the number one in the class and a guy that people have been talking about or, you know, defensive tackle. Both these guys, Jalen Carter, Will Anderson, people have been talking about them for two years now. Uh, yeah. And that's exciting. So it is hard to just, like, ignore that, right? Dana or Jeff, do you have a strong feeling on that particular, like, if you were team building, which way you would go? Jeff, you look like you're dying to say. What, what What's your thought? My, my answer is Nathan's probably right and I'm probably wrong. But to me, I'm going to go with the all pro. And especially if it's like a defensive line, blue chip, like if it's a premium position like that, because guys like that are force multipliers and they make other people better and they're blocked differently. Like if you want, look at what Nick Bosa has done to San Francisco and it, what they were with almost the same players the year before and how he was able to unlock like Eric Armstead and how he made Fred Warner better. And like, you're not going to get Nick Bosa all the time. So it's probably tough to make that comparison, but even like the jets, they had the same scheme and then Quinn Williams is now having the year of his life and add sauce Gardner. And all of a sudden you're, that whole team looks totally different. So to me, if you can get like an all pro defensive lineman, how that impacts everyone else to me, that's so rare. Like if you're getting three pro bowl players, that's probably the right answer. Let's be honest. Like this team needs three players. They don't need one, but how many times if like, they might never get into the top five again. And it's the rest of like this regime. So I think like if you're in a position where if you can get one of those two guys, I think you have to take them. If you get down one pick below, I think you have to trade down. So it's that thin of a margin to me. Yeah. I think Dana. I, oh, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, go I, ahead. I, say, I, I definitely don't think that you're wrong there, Jeff. I, I think the only thing for me here is that we're not talking about, you know, are you drafting Aaron Jones or, you know, would you take Aaron, uh, Aaron, Aaron Jones? Oh my gosh. Aaron Donald, <laughs> Nathan's uh, always thinking about that. If you told me, would you take like Aaron Donald and, uh, you know, a quality starter like Cody Barton, let's say, or two <laughs> pro bowlers. That's a different question. Right. But we're, that's we're talking about draft picks. We're talking about draft picks. And so, and that's why, yeah, that changes the math for me a bit because none of these guys are guarantees. But I think the the full multi the fourth multiplier idea, like I do buy into that. And so, if you're talking about sure things over draft picks, then I that changes my opinion. I think Dana. The only thing I would add to that because I I kind of agree with both of you. It's just hard, right? Like you don't know. Um, I'm getting to the point where. I really just want them to take the best player available because they didn't for so long. And I want to see kind of what they can do with that. But I will say this. Um, I think it's, it's going to depend. At least I would hope it would depend on what their free agency looks like. They're, the beauty of the draft is it is a full month after free agency starts, right? And so you can go in and see what kind of pictures that you want. See, or I'm sorry, see what kind of players that you want. Not pictures, not baseball, sorry. Um, and see 
if they're available and see who you can actually get on your team. Because I do think that that does change your draft strategy quite, quite a bit. And so if they can get a couple of those key positions with some really good free agents, I think that that helps them kind of clear that picture a little bit. Yeah. I, uh, sorry, there's too many fun things going on right now. Uh, here's the thing for me. And generally I would take the all pro. Like I, I agree with what you said, Jeff, the, the one thing for me this year is I want to see what happens with the combine. Everyone's talking about Jalen Carter and Will Anderson as if they are miles better than the other defensive line prospects. I think there's some pretty, some other pretty interesting prospects. And I'd be curious after the combine and after more time, um, how things shake out. Because if you could move down three or four picks or five picks, depending on if you're going like from two to seven, there's there's ways you could pick up another first next year. You'd have to trade additional picks probably later, you know, swap things around. But the idea of having two first next year, especially if it's with a team that has the you have a decent chance to get another top 10 pick, and you could end up with an all pro anyway. Yeah. Then I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I'll well, take yeah. that. Like, I'll San take Francisco, that. San Francisco went three to 11 and three, and that was three first round picks. Right. So, right. From a process standpoint, like what Nathan said is the right way to go. There's no doubt about it because you don't know if Jalen Carter is going to be better than Brian Brees. Like the odds are you take Brian Brees and the two other players. So it's just hard for me. Like it would be very hard for me to swallow if they had a chance to get one of those two guys and they didn't, but I think going from like two to eight could get you another first round pick for sure. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Dana, I took us on a a roundabout trip. You can take us back on on track. I'm a little pissed. I didn't read the next question before I asked Nathan the last one. So Brian, I'll take two. I can do two in a row. No, you don't get this question. Double it up. You don't get this question, sir. (laughs) My answer it anyways. Don't you do it. All right, Brian. Yes. With our curse of injured running backs and our next mentality. Such an ass. <laughs> Who do you think is going to be um, th- an impact to the team if K9 is out this week? Just go ahead and say Travis Homer. Sorry, go ahead. He, I think he's out too. No, he practiced a little bit today. Did he practice today? I know bit, he's got yeah. a knee. So, like, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, Homer played, people forget the year that Marshawn came back. Homer was our running back for, for that period of time. And he had some moments of, fine play like the guy can be fast he's put on some muscle um he's not someone that's going to make many people miss um so he needs the line to block well uh and that's honestly the the bigger answer dana is like Mm -hmm. k9's been in there and hasn't been getting yards because the line's been blocking for shit uh, in the run so i think not to be Nathan Ernst, but I think the bigger impact on the run game right now is the offensive line and the running backs. Probably there's not a huge difference. You, I think you saw Kenneth Walker at least break one run where he went beyond what it was supposed to do and went in a different direction. And he has that potential. And these other guys probably don't, but I'm always for like, bring me the undrafted free agent that's been on the practice squad that has young legs and is playing for his career and trying to put tape out there. Those guys will run their asses off 
Um, and a lot of times they have fresh legs. So mm-hmm. I prefer that in some ways to, to some of these other guys. All right. Uh, Jeff, you're next. What's the one? Oh, this is from Braxton. Oh, I'm sorry. That last um, question was from Hunter Hatch. This one's from Braxton. What's the one player on the Seattle squad that you think has gone from zero to hero other than Gino? Zero to hero. I'll give this one guy credit. Marquise Goodwin has made a lot of big plays this year. And he was a guy like we thought was like a training camp body. We've spent a lot of time thinking like who's going to be the number three receiver. And I don't know how much like I've upgraded third receiver would really elevate this offense just this year. And Goodwin's made like big, he made that catch to put them inside the 10 yard line. He had two touchdowns a couple games ago. He had a touchdown in the Tampa game. He was a guy I didn't think would contribute at all. So there aren't a lot because of just how bad the defense is and less like Tariq because he was a fifth round pick suits. The other answer would be Jason Myers because of how bad he was this year. And he's probably the best kicker in the league this year, but I don't want to, I don't want to talk about him. So <laughs> we'll start with Marquise Goodwin. He's a guy that I had zero expectations for. He's got a cool story and like he's made big plays this year that I would not have expected. Okay. Can I, can I throw out one more? Sure. Uh, hero is probably strong, but like what Michael Jackson has done this year is pretty amazing to come in and be serviceable, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like he was what, like the seventh cornerback on the depth chart last year. And <clears throat> I don't know where, where he was drafted, but it's pretty late. And it's just cool to kind of see him come in and like that dude's going to have a career in the NFL and he'll play for a little while. So that's, that's pretty neat. Yeah. All right, the next one's from Jen Maz. Uh, which player from the Broncos trade between Noah Fant and Shelby Harris has been more impactful and worth keeping as a long-term piece? Nathan. Sorry, I wasn't listening. What? Oh, why do people <laughs> was, not listen? You asked me to get these questions and nobody somebody listens to me. complimenting me in the chat and I got distracted. <laughs> oh, well, I can understand that. Okay, so which player from the Broncos trade between Noah Fant and Shelby Harris has been more impactful and worth keeping as a longer-term piece? I mean, when you phrase it as longer term, I think it's it's got to be Fant just based on age, right? But I'm also not sure that Fant hasn't like had more of an impact than Shelby Harris, which um, I'm a little loath to admit. And also, just like I think that's a surprise, right? I mean, Shelby Harris was, I think, um, I mean, no offense to bigger name because he's the first round pick and everything, but I think Shelby Harris was the guy that we probably looked at as more of an actual contributor. Um, so yeah, I think Fant, um, sh- no knock on Shelby, but, uh, I think mm-hmm. Fant's probably, you know, especially if you're saying longer term, the guy I would go with there. Yeah. Good- a really quick question for all of you or anyone that feels strongly. So th- there's, there's a couple pretty good tight ends in this draft. There's one who's like projected top 15, top yeah. 12. Let's say I don't, it's not going to happen, but let's say you could get a guy like that. Um, would you like, do you feel, do you feel like the tight end positions in good enough shape that you wouldn't want to upgrade it? Um, if like there is like a Travis Kelsey type, you know, tight end available. I don't, I don't know that there'll ever be another Travis Kelsey that, I mean, he, sure. it's, it's hard. No, I mean, it's hard to think of tight ends as that important because they're only really that important on one team. Like, let's be honest. Right. It's only, really? I mean, I mean, well, no, I mean, and... oh no, I mean at the Travis, I mean, Travis Kelsey is the chief's 
offense 90% of the time, right? So you have to leave when you're talking about him. Now, Kittle is great and you've had some other good players, but I don't know that with the players that the tight ends that they have, you know, Colby Parkinson actually has been playing pretty well and, and they've had, you know, Will Disley. I, I don't know that I would waste that high of a pick on a tight end. I just don't know that. That's what I was kind of curious. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, um, we have another draft question. Maybe we'll, we'll wait on that one. Um, Zach Hassan, um, are the Seahawks an average to above average defense away from being legit contenders? Also, why does Nathan hate Gino? <laughs> Brian, I'm going to let you answer this because Nathan's not here. <laughs> you should give that to Jeff. I, I, Jeff, I want to hear you. Jeff, you go. You go. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I think they, so. They've been playing awful defense, and they have a winning record. With like, I know they played good defense during that four-game winning streak, but really, if you look at the teams around the league, like how many of them in the NFC have better offenses than Seattle right now? It's probably just mm-hmm. Philadelphia. But Seattle's defensively compared to the other three contenders, which are Philadelphia, Dallas, and San Francisco, are playing very, very good defense. And Seattle's playing very, very bad defense. And that's why if you talk to all of us realistically, none of us think the team can do any noise. So for the team to become a Super Bowl contender, they have to pair a good offense or be elite, elite at offense. I don't know if we'll ever get that high, but they're pretty good at offense this year. But they're just so bad on defense right now it's hard to take them seriously to be honest. So yeah, I think that's, I think that's exactly a good way of describing them. And you look at the teams that win the Super Bowl, a lot of them do have either average or they're good pass rushing teams or they are elite on defense. So you don't see a lot of teams with terrible defense win the Super Bowl. Like Aaron Donald and Von Miller pretty much won the Super Bowl themselves last year. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a great way to classify where things are. You can ask Nathan that, that last Nathan, part of the question. Zach wants to know why you hate Gino. Um, just Gino knows what he did, and when he's ready to apologize, we'll talk. Fair enough. Fair uh, enough. All right, KDB. She wants to know what are your thoughts, um, Brian. I'm gonna give this one to you. What are your thoughts on the Rams claiming Baker Mayfield off waivers, and how do you think this will impact the look of the NFC West moving forward? Honestly, it has no impact on the NFC West uh, other than there was no opportunity for him to go to the 49ers, but the 49ers didn't put in a claim. Mm -mm. So implications are the 49ers are happy with Brock Purdy. They've been hyping him up. There is like Trent Williams talking about today that like he, he treats me like he's Peyton Manning. He tells me to shut the bleep up and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And you wouldn't know that he's a seventh round rookie or whatever. So uh, I've seen <laughs> 49ers, like not beat writers, but guys that cover the 49ers that are at training camp have full on like slap fights on Twitter about whether Brock Purdy was like good in, in training camp and nobody knew it. And, so I think the 49ers are going with Brock Purdy. Uh, and so then Baker Mayfield to the Rams actually becomes a little bit interesting next year. We don't know what's happening with Matthew Stafford. Um, had the spinal contusion, uh, spinal cord contusion. He's had a couple head injuries. Uh, we'll see like what happens there. He wasn't good this year, even before those injuries. 
And with Wolford, like Wolford's not the guy. Bryce Perkins is not the guy. Baker Mayfield, like he couldn't have found a better home. Like there's a lot of very easy throws in Sean McVay's system. So yeah, maybe the Rams fell into a lifeboat. Um, I guess that's the only thing that we'll have to see. The interesting thing with the Rams is I, their quarterback for next year, I don't think is on their roster right now. I really believe that Matt Stafford will retire at the end of this year. I don't think Baker will catch on unless he's okay with a backup role. I think that what's funny to me about the Rams and and as I've been watching this team all over all these years is the fact that um, they are now in a position where they really need to move up to get a quarterback and they've given away all their capital to do it. And so this is the, this is the spot we all predicted the Rams would be in at some point. I think it came a little earlier than we thought it was going to be. Um, but they're kind of host cause they have no draft capital. They have nothing. So it's going to be interesting. I think to see what happens. That's going to be a fascinating team to watch next yeah, year. Baker's Baker's a free agent after the year. Yep. So he's, yeah. he's got like what, yeah. a six week tryout, but weirdly yeah. we have to cheer for the Rams potentially in the next couple of weeks because we don't want them passing us in the draft. So I feel like, I feel like I got more confident that the Rams have a chance to win that game against the Broncos than based on this last game. Yeah. Uh, like Broncos defense is not the CX defense or anywhere in the same zip code or hemisphere. Um, but the Broncos offense is also not in the same hemisphere as the, the Seahawks offense. So yeah. I, all they need to do is score like 17 points. That's it. To be able to win. So I don't know. I'm hopeful that Aaron Donald should be back by then as well. Hopefully. Um, all right. So I'm going to call it there on Patreon. We have a few more that I missed. I'm sorry, but they're really long, complicated questions. And so um, since we are already at an hour, I figured I'd better stop. So thank you, everyone. There was a lot of questions this week. They were good ones. Awesome. Thanks, everybody. Patreon.com slash Hawkblogger. You can join and ask your questions as well. And we'll do our best to get to as many of them as we can within the show. Uh, really, you should send bribes to Dana, sometimes Nathan, who, uh, who take care of choosing which questions we ask. Let's turn our attention to this Panthers matchup, folks. Uh, we talked about it a little bit as part of the patron chat. What are you expecting to see this weekend? Like, we've seen the Seahawks defense go from the worst in the NFL to the best in the NFL to the worst in the NFL. And that's not even hyperbole. Like, that's real. <laughs> It's not been like mild swings or mild improvement. It's been massive improvement and massive re regression. Do they have another like swing in them? Could do you, Nathan, I'm going to start with you. Actually, Dana, I'm going to start with you because you just asked all these questions. I want to give you a chance to answer one. So sure. is, is it like in the realm of possibilities that the Seahawks defense becomes good again? Or is it just who we have? Hell, if I know, does it do any of us know? Because seriously, it just depends on the wind, on on what they ate for breakfast that day. Seriously, it, there's no rhyme or reason to it. I, I said earlier today on another podcast, this has been the most roller coaster defense that we've had in so long. Bad, good, bad, good, bad, good. And so it's hard to know who's going to show up. And 
And I think that they learned a little bit from last week, hopefully. Um, but, but the tackling problems are still there. All, all the problems are still there. Um, and so I don't know. I think there is a, I, I think that they can beat the Panthers. Although this division, like I said, already has been really difficult for Seattle this year. And I, I'm not really sure why that is. I'm looking to see how that no one wants to win that division this year. So I, I think it's kind of fascinating, but I still think that um, Sam Darnold is Sam Darnold. And so although he's looked better, he's still the same guy. And so I think the secondary could have a, a big impact on this, but if they don't calm down that run game, it's going to be a long day, I think. And so I think, yes, it is absolutely possible for this defense to step up. It's absolutely possible they fall apart again because we don't know this year. Nathan, how, how are you approaching this game this weekend? Like what are you like, ah, whatever. I'm just going to turn it on and see what happens. Are you like looking forward to something? Are you dreading something? Like where are you mentally as you approach this game? Yeah. I mean, I think, Seattle has had a run now of some pretty bad teams. Um, and Carolina is a bad team. And what I want to see is for them to... I mean, good teams should blow out bad teams, right? And so I, I don't need them to blow out Carolina. But I want something that looks better than what we've seen against the Rams and obviously what we saw against like the Raiders and, and Tampa. So... I mean, that's that's kind of where I'm in. I'm in. Like, I think they're very likely to make the playoffs just with math. Um, but, like, I want to see them look – I want to see them control this game for most of it and and not, you know, struggle for, like, a half or whatever against a bad Panther team. Not that, you know, struggling against them for a half would, you know, be damning or something like that. But, like – kind of show us that you belong in the playoffs and that you're not just kind of falling backwards into it in a bad conference. Jeff scenario for you. Sure. The Seahawks go into the Panthers game determined to stop the run. They're like, we're going to make Sam Darnold beat us and they actually succeed. They stop the run, but Sam Darnold beats them. <laughs> How do you feel in that situation? Are you like, that was the right call? Are you like, God damn it? Like, how do you approach this game? I think you have to try to combat them at the line of scrimmage because that's, they really only have one like really, really good receiver, DJ Moore, who's had kind of a down year because of how bad their quarterbacking is. Sam Darnold's a guy who like, you get him into third and long, he makes mistakes. We've seen the Seahawks play him before and do well. So I think the, the clear way Carolina can win this game is like they have one real threat to it. If Sam Darnold beats you, then frankly, you're just not good enough in general. But I think that's the plan you have to have. You have to try to get them in the third long. You have to try to not get them to get killed in the run. I think you have to try to stop the run because they're a pretty good line of scrimmage team. Their offensive line, which was really, really bad the last couple of years, has been really, really good. And they invested a lot of picks and a lot of free agent money. And they took one of the Rams guys and they took one of their guards, Austin Corbett. But if Sam Darnold beats you, it'll be pretty demoralizing for sure, especially as we're trying to convince ourselves that these guys might be in the playoffs. But I think that's the right game plan. I, um, I'll get us back to the Panthers game. But as you guys were talking about, it, I was just thinking like, 
thinking about the, the quarterback problems for the Panthers and that they did have Baker Mayfield. And I was thinking about all the quarterbacks that were rumored to Seattle this off season, <laughs> Baker Mayfield, Jimmy Garoppolo, Matt Ryan, uh, Deshaun Watson for a, a minute before all that stuff broke. Like who am I missing? That was rumored to Seattle. I will say the the Watson rumor was not after or not before everything broke. Th- those rumors were, if they were true, Seattle would have gone into that very well, knowing everything that had come mm. out about him. Interesting. But, yeah, I, I I don't remember the sequence perfectly, yeah. but that that. Possible. Yeah, Malik Willis. As a a Malik guy. Willis. Yeah, like He's so far from an NFL quarterback. Drew Locke. Drew Locke. <laughs> Drew Locke. Pickett. Um, that was, you know, he was the first quarterback taken. Um, <clears throat> how much, like someone mentioned in chat, the Seahawks dodged a bullet. Well, actually, I think it was Trey in our chat uh, mentioned that the Seahawks dodged a bullet on Baker Mayfield. They dodged a hail of bullets. It was like a 1920s, like Tommy gun of bullets coming at the Seahawks and they they matrixed their way around all of those and they ended up with a unicorn like stallion and Geno Smith it is like one of the most wild like even the Geno thing all by itself is wild but when you zoom out to all the possible multiverse of possibilities that could have been including Russ staying by the way another bullet it's remarkable. Like it is like boggles my mind how we are here. And I am very, very grateful <laughs> that we are. There could have been a lot more boring and tedious uh, seasons to cover than the one we've got. Um, I don't know though. So, I mean, the rest thing obviously dodged, dodged a bullet is one way to say that. I think, you know, they were Schneider by all accounts was pretty aggressive in, in making that happen. But, like, do you think that if they had brought in any of those guys, other guys that you mentioned, um, that Gino wouldn't have won the competition in the end? Like, I think this is, uh, like, we should probably give Pete some credit here where, like, Mm. I think clearly he saw something in Gino leading up to this. And I think that if, you know, they had gone out and gotten one of these guys to compete with Gino, I'm pretty sure Pete would have picked Gino. I think that's a really interesting thought. I don't know that Gino would have been re-signed. I think they would have made the trade. They would have had Drew Locke, and Drew Locke would have been competing with one of these people. Yeah. Yeah, I guess the sequencing there doesn't matter. But you're right. I mean, I don't have the same faith that you do. I don't know um, that, that Gino would have won. I think if they had made another trade or signed a guy that they expected to be the starter, who knows? Um, well, <laughs> we'll never know, but, uh, there's not one of those guys that I would prefer to what we've got right now. That's for sure. Um, all right, let's go round Robin, talk about predictions for this weekend. Um, Dana, I'm going to start with you. Mm-hmm. What will be the score of this game and who will be the winner? Well, I mean, Deontay Freeman, it, he is injured. I mean, he, they expect him to play, but they've said he has said he's not 100%. He was injured during their bye week. Um, and so he'll be on the field, but you know how impactful that will be, I don't know, um, especially if the defense manages to get 
get it together um, for this run um, defense just a little bit. So I'm, I'm get, I was looking back over the Panthers schedule and what they won by, and they just are so hot and cold. They, you know, they, they get 30 points and the next week they get three. I mean, it just makes no sense to be quite honest with you. So I'm just going to kind of go middle of the road. I think Seattle wins this one, especially because they're at home. I think Seattle wins it. I'm going to say 24, 15. Nathan. Um, I think that Seattle does rebound a bit. Um, not, I mean, they won last week and, and Gina played well and everything, but I think that they just look a little bit more like a playoff team against a very bad team this week. Uh, and I think it's 34, 23. They're going to have some issues. I'm fully anticipating DJ Moore doing something incredibly stupid against this team. And, uh, it's raging about the defense. Uh, but I think that they will pretty comfortably win this. Jeff. I got a bad feeling about this game. Uh, they're really good at the line of scrimmage. Seattle's really bad at the line of scrimmage. I'm hoping I'm way off. I'm hoping my instincts are way off because remember in October, Brian, you were talking about like how nothing's gone wrong. Things need to go right. Something needs to go wrong here. Everything's moving. Like to Nathan's point earlier, they were killing teams. And how many times have Pete Carroll said, like, why can't they do this? And it was four games in a row. And then the last month, they've looked like shit. And they were in these games. They could have won the Raiders game. Last week was a toss-up, but like they don't look like a playoff team. They look pretty bad. Until I see anything different, I'm uneasy with how they match up against a team that's really good at the line of scrimmage in spite of how bad their quarterback is. And it's until I see differently, I'm gonna say 23-20 Carolina. I hope I'm way off. Seattle should win this game at home. And I want to see some pass rushing, but until I see something differently, my gut instinct, unfortunately, right now is a loss. That would be pretty demoralizing. The interesting thing is I remember in our chat, it would be the most Seahawk thing ever to lose to Carolina and beat the Chiefs on Christmas Eve. Like, oh, right? Yeah. Like, that's just how this 100%. team is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> my response then is the same as now. They've already done the lose to Carolina bit. They lost to the Raiders. They lost to the Falcons. They the lost Raiders to are the better Raiders. than you think. The Raiders are turning something around here. I No, it's true. I agree. Point being like, I, I'm closer to where you are, Jeff. I mean, that Tampa Bay loss, you know how that broke me in terms of like, I got to the point where I was believing this team could be better than just, you know, a playoff entrant that maybe they could do something fun. That Tampa team is shit. And I'm hoping to God that somehow actually they're not. And this week against Brock Purdy that, you know, they find a way to win. And if they win and the Seahawks win, then Thursday night football will be for first place in the NFC West against the 49ers, which would be fun. We're going to get two home games in the course of four days in Seattle, which is cool. Now, I, man, I, I look at what happened with Tampa. I look at what happened with Denver. I look at what happened with the Rams three teams I don't have a lot of respect for. And then the only thing keeping me from like being clearly picking the Panthers is that the Seahawks did seem to find a little bit of traction in the defense. Like it wasn't just a total jailbreak against the Rams, but pretty bad. So 
my tendency is to pick the Panthers. And I think I'm just going to go with that. Um, and I think I'm going to pick the Panthers are going to win this game uh, 25 to 17. Um, and we will see. I hope that I am wrong. Same as Jeff. And I will be super happy to be wrong if that's what happens. I'll be at this game. I'll be at the Thursday game screaming my head off. And hopefully that will help somebody. It's a Thursday game. Monday. And then the 49ers is a Thursday game. Oh, it's a, it's a Monday game. <laughs> Sorry. Sunday. And then the, yeah, oh, the come on you. You're such a pain in the, what do you, what do you, you give me crap? Best no, game? I honestly don't know. What day no, the it's a Sunday is. game. And then a Thursday game. So they play Sunday. Yes. We have to play the Niners on a short week. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Christ. Okay. Yeah. They, they have to all play right. us just... on a short week. What are you talking about? Oh, yeah. That's what I meant. And they have to travel all the way up from the North North Bay. No, that's not... Actually, just... the South Bay. I can't with that team right now. I know. Maybe, I'm really hoping, as I said to you guys before, that Purdy, you know, just had his Matt Flynn moment and got his million touchdowns. And now he's just going to fall apart. That's all we can hope for. Right. Legit in Iowa state. He's in Iowa state. State. He looks confident, but teams are going to study him now. So it'll be this week. will be really telling. Yeah. There's a lot of people talking about, Oh, he didn't throw it past like five yards downfield. Have you seen the Kyle Shanahan offense? Like like, Garoppolo destroyed the Rams without ever throwing it past the line of scrimmage. Like, he do that. That's how Kyle Shanahan coaches, and he makes it really easy on quarterbacks. So Ugh. I'm with you, Dana. Ugh. The the 49ers, because the NFC looks like such shit, um, the 49ers, I think if you – like I've often said that the best side of the ball in the NFL, whichever is the most dominant side of the ball, wins the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. I think you can make the case that the 49ers defense is the most dominant side of the ball – in the NFL this year. Yep. They're not necessarily the most complete team, but that defense is, is yeah, up there. It's insane. Yeah. yeah. I, I remember the first week when I saw Hufanga against the bears, and I was like, Oh no, no, they don't get to have him be good. Like that sucks. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. I'm dreading that game. I know yeah. that might be one I skip. You guys hey, know how I am. I think we we'll talk about that game soon after soon enough. But like, <laughs> I like our receivers in that game. That's one thing about that defense that does struggle. Their their corners are not great, and that they're injured. Um, I think the Seahawks can make some hay there, but we'll we'll see. We'll see. Ugh. I would honestly maybe take a win over the 49ers and a loss to every other team. <laughs> like if I could have like. I might take that. I don't know. <sighs> yes. All right. Um, thanks, everybody, for joining. Thanks for staying late. Uh, Nathan Ernst, at Nathan E11. Uh, Dana O'Gorman, at Dana OG. Uh, Jeff Simmons, at Real Jeff Simmons. You can find them all there. I highly recommend it. And thank you to the folks um, on chat that joined. Thank you to the patrons that helped make um, our donation this year possible. $40,000 to NAMI, which brings our total charitable donations over all the years from Real Hawk Talk and Hawk Blogger to $240,000, which ain't nothing. And uh, appreciate all of your contributions. Appreciate the folks on the show. And let's do more. We got more to do. We got more Seahawks to talk. We'll see you, hear you discuss with you in the post game show on Sunday. Yes. Sunday against the Panthers. All right. Take care, everybody.
Go Hawks.